Today's podcast is brought to you by Law Tigers, the motorcycle accident injury lawyers. Since 2001, their lawyers have fought for the rights of injured riders and their families. They get it. They get us. Most people don't want to involve a lawyer when a motorcycle accident happens. Maybe the damage wasn't that bad. Maybe you feel fine. However, without any representation, there are no guarantees you'll receive fair compensation for your injuries and your losses. The Law Tigers attorneys represent clients throughout the country on a contingency basis, which means they don't charge any upfront fees and only require payment if they recover compensation on your behalf. The Law Tigers guys and gals only serve the motorcycle community. With Law Tigers, you never ride alone. They're here for you 24-7 to help you with your case um, in the event that you need them. They're there if you need them. LawTigers.com. You can find them at LawTigers.com with offices all over the continental United States. Well, welcome to Road Dirt, the podcast of Road Dirt Motorcycle Media and RoadDirt.tv, your down-home grassroots motorcycle brand covering what we like to call the ride life. This is Rob Brooks, your host. Thanks for tuning in. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been able to record anything because I have been on the road to the far side of the continent. In fact, at least from my end, I've been over uh, in uh, the Pacific Northwest riding with one of our one of our very popular writers, Ted Edwards, and his, his riding groups over there, the uh, Wild Rose Squad and... Um, the uh, Mild Hogs. I'll tell you a little bit more about them. And what I'm really going to do is something a little bit different. Normally, what we do is we we have articles uh, on our website with YouTube videos and photo galleries and things like that. And we record a podcast for those that would like to hear it rather than see it when they're on the road. Some people, for some reason, think I've got a pretty cool voice. Well, thank you. So what we're going to do is I'm actually going to read the story before we post it out on the site. So you can actually uh, hear me tell the story of what it was like to ride out there with these guys. It's a little bit lengthy, but uh, hey, if you're out riding and out driving or whatever, or sitting by the pool with a drink or whatever, I hope you enjoy this. It's called God's Own Racetrack, Riding the Pacific Northwest with the Wild Rose Squad. And uh, within a week or so, we should have the art, the articles written, obviously, and we should have the, the photo galleries and photo essays ready uh, and, and YouTube videos for each day of the trip that'll be up. And um, But I wanted to go ahead and kind of give you a preview because uh, I stayed up till well past midnight writing this last night, and uh, I wanted to share it with you. The sign at the starting point of Idaho's Winchester grade should have been a clue, should have served as an early warning that we were riding into a danger zone. It said closed to through traffic, locals only. Well, we ignored the warning. Ah, that sign's been there for years, one guy quipped. Yeah, it's just a bumpy bit of bumpy pavement, declared another. The views are worth the ride, chimed in a third. Meanwhile, I was thinking, I've got a bad feeling about this. There were no views, bumpy was an understatement, and there was still good reason for that sign, it would turn out. As we rolled up the narrow, twisty road, the mist we began in turned to light rain. We had pulled out in two groups, the Wild Rose Squad, Fast Boys first, 
then the rest of the mild hog group coming later. As it happened, I found myself the front bike in group two for the only reason that group one had left me behind. So here I was at the lead of group two on my second day riding the Pacific Northwest on a still unfamiliar bike I have, that was on a, a Honda ST1300, very large bike, riding with a group of guys I just met the day before and now on an unfamiliar road in the rain. Oh, and did I mention the temperature was 44 degrees? The rain thickened, the curves tightened, and we ascended into a low cloud bank, which meant fog limiting our view to barely 30 yards ahead. And to top it off, we crossed a county line. Well, this new county apparently didn't invest in roads so much as warning signs as the pavement, if you can call it such, no longer had yellow center lines or white outside lines, and it was pocked with holes, cracks, open seams, and overlay patches. And I was leading group two through this. Nervous? Let's just say I was squeezing up the seat vinyl into my sphincter most of the way up. Well, halfway up, the front group had pulled over to wait for our group struggling through the worsening conditions themselves. So as the whole group reunited, proceeded toward the terminus of the road at the top of the ridge, I followed Jeff the Machine Piper, they call him, from the front group, matching his every move on his Kawasaki concourse. When he stuck a toe out, I dodged a pothole. When he stood up, I did too, looking forward farther beyond my already soaked windshield. We slowly rolled past any clear weather beautiful overlooks with the overcast completely socking it all in. We finally reached the top terminus and turned into a fuel stop convenience store outside of Winchester, Idaho. We all disembarked, formed a line at the coffee dispenser, and Ted approached me with a wry grin and asked, Rob, are you still my friend? Yes, Ted, I'd like to strangle you right now, but you're still my friend, at least for the moment. This was but one road on day two of my week-long ride with these guys. The other later that day was a nerve-wracking run up the famed Old Spiral Highway, again in the rain, but more on that later. My friend and fellow road dirt writer, Ted Edwards, had invited me to join him and his riding group for their annual June road trip months before, and after reading his incredible accounts of riding the Pacific Northwest, which, by the way, you need to look these up, they are called Best Roads of the Upper Left, Part 1 and Part 2, as well as one called Wayward Sons that he wrote recently. I knew after all this, I had to make the trick. This is the account of one of the most epic road trips of my life. I flew across the continent from Atlanta, Georgia to Wenatchee, Washington, by way of Seattle, and spent a day with Ted and his wife, Vicki, before we set out on the journey. My steed was a 2003 Honda ST1300 offered for my use by one of Ted's riding mates. Our first day of riding comprised rolling out of the beautiful river valley that Wenatchee is nestled in, up onto the flat farmlands of southeast Washington to meet up with Ted's friend Dave in the town of Connell. We then rode hard across the plains through Colotus, Starbuck, Dodge, and Pomeroy, stopping, brief stopping briefly at the Palouse Falls, made famous by pro kayaker Tyler Bratt, who in his record-setting run over the falls fell 189 feet down the drop, which is 17 feet higher than Niagara Falls. 
and of course, he lived to tell about it and went into the record books. We pulled up to the Snake River Rendezvous later that day to meet up and uh, would be the meet up and jump off point for the annual ride for the Wild Rose Squad of Ted, Dave, Trevor, and chase car Miata driver Aaron. By the way, the Wild Rose Squad is named after a cabin, apparently, that they all shared once on a road trip. And the Mild Hog guys of Ted's dad, Don, Terry, Jack, Dave Kelly, and Jeff the Machine, Piper, in time for barbecue ribs and potato potato salad dinner. Now, the Mild Hogs might be a a bit of a misnomer. This is a group that's been riding out of Wenatchee for, I want to say, about 20, 25 years, something like that. And yet, none of the guys ride Harley-Davidson hogs, so to speak. And these older chaps, well, when they ride, they are anything but mild. They all welcomed me immediately into the group, and I look forward to touring the tri-state area with these guys. After the group mapped out the next day's routes, it was off to bed for me into Idaho. We rolled through Clarkston and Asotin after breakfast along the canyon carving Snake River bordering Idaho, arriving at the Snake River rendezvous camp and cabin grounds where the rest of the the group awaited. These guys have been making annual treks across the Pacific Northwest for many, many years. Even as elder statesmen statesmen retired out and young bucks joined in. There are fathers, sons, grandfathers in this group. They have been written up even in Western publications over the years. Their families connected to each other across miles and decades. And I was honored to be riding among them. Rain had settled in across the region overnight, so the full first day of riding altogether would be wet and cold. Kind of unusual, apparently, for this time of the year, even for the Pacific Northwest. So we all donned our rain gear, which for me was the Sedici Marco mesh gear that I've been testing for cycle gear that I had been uh, had been very comfortable in the day before as we crossed the state in 90 degrees and sunshine. This time the liners were zipped in, I had layered up underneath, and the gear would be tested in rain and low 40s temperatures this day. After breakfast, the group rolled back through Asotin and Clarkston, across the Snake River into Lewiston, Idaho, to ride what's called the Winchester Grade, as I referenced before. Unwise choice, (laughs) but we all made it unscathed. Turning back toward Washington, the rain eased up some, enough for Ted to suggest that several of us make a quick run up the fabled Old Spiral Highway before returning back to camp at Rendezvous. This tight technical road was made famous as the inspiration for the old classic song, Hot Rod Lincoln, which actually is in my playlist. So as I was, I was in complete agreement with this choice, obviously. I had to ride this road. Still in light drizzle, but otherwise remaining pretty dry and comfortable in the Sedici gear, we wound our way up, albeit somewhat cautiously, at least for me, considering the wet surfaces. This road is really well surfaced with spectacular overlooks across the Hell's Canyon Valley. I was picturing the scenes referenced in the song. Um, Of course, my favorite version of the song is the Commander Cody version. As we ascended, at the summit, we parked together for some photo ops. No sooner had we snapped a few pictures when suddenly rain socked in around us and it dropped sleet on us as well. We were getting sleeted in June. We opted not to descend back down the spiral but we took State 95 back to Lewison, crossed back into Washington, and followed the Snake River Road the 17 miles back out to Rendezvous. 
Honestly, that road itself was one of my favorites that winds along the Snake River Canyon with stark, beautiful canyon walls on either side and the sweeping curves hugging the river. Rolling into Oregon, we packed up and rolled out of Snake River Canyon, then south up out of Asotin, uh, down Highway 129 toward the state line. Below Anatone, we soon hopped on the tight, twisty descent known as Rattlesnake Grade through intermittent drizzle and sunlight with spectacular views across the Grand, Grand Ronde River Basin, I think is how you say it. The guys rode down to breakfast at Bogan's Oasis, which is by the river near the basin, but I kept stopping to snap photos. The beauty was just so incredible. And like I say, when we put this article up, you'll see the pictures. That's outstanding. I finally arrived, a hot cup of coffee and a souvenir t-shirt awaiting me. Following breakfast, we rode up to the misty Hell's Canyon overlook, then proceeded south, climbing an elevation across Siskiyou Summit, which is 4,310 4, feet. The temperatures dropped to 36 degrees. There was summer snow scattered about on the road, in the trees, and across the hills. But eventually the sun began to peek through the further south we rode. Eventually Route 3 opened up and the landscapes provided long views across rolling high prairie farmlands to distant mountains beyond. We dodged thick clouds, dark and heavy with rain, stopping in the town of Enterprise before riding west on 82 through Wallowa, Elgin, Imbler, and Island City refueling in La Grande. To make time, the group slabbed it on I-84 into the town of Baker City, then while the rest of the group made for the two-night home of ours next in Prairie City, the Wild Rose Squad boys wanted to take me across Route 245 also known as Dooley Mountain Road, another upper left Tale of the Dragon style uh, pass through the mountains. Heeding the warnings of occasional gravel and steep canyon walls, I eased my way up the snaking hairpins, Ted watching over me from behind. It was fairly nerve wracking for me on a large top heavy sport touring bike, but I negotiated the pass without any incident except for this tractor trailer rig that was pulling a flatbed with a big backhoe on top of it that we had to squeeze around near the high point of, of the road. Why truckers do that on these tight curves? I, anyway, that's another story. Route 245 soon opens up into wide, fast sweepers as it continues southwest through the Wallowa Whitman National Forest with posted speed limits of 45, then 55, then 65, meaning for riders, well, you, you know. We took Route 26 west to Austin Junction, the sun poking through and bathing us in welcomed light and warmth, finally. We pulled into the roadside Austin house, met a few adventure bike riders, then blasted south toward Prairie City, stopping at a historic marker for one of the most beautiful views and vistas I have ever laid eyes on. Coming down into the valley, a verdant, green valley and that strawberry uh, strawberry mountain range beyond. Have you ever just viewed something of such spectacular magnificence that tears filled your eyes? I had me a moment right there. Neither pictures nor these words can truly capture what I saw. We continued on into town to our home for two nights, this restored old western lodge called the Prairie Rose Guesthouse. 
This home was first built in 1889, which apparently was the same year that the Eiffel Tower was built. I didn't know that. And the town itself boasts a population just under 900. So there's a decidedly Old West feel in this town. We, rolled, we roamed up through the town and met a local racing legend with a small automotive and motorcycle shop, a guy named Ingo Vedi. Hailing originally from Frankfurt, Germany, Ingo has lived in Prairie City, Oregon for more than 40 years, and he has road raced motorcycles all over North America and Europe in his younger days. He even rode factory Triumph teams uh, for several seasons. We each took turns riding this homemade electric bike around town that he had built. Tried to get patented and everything, but banks wouldn't fund him. And, um, and enjoyed nosing around his shop, admiring his collection of luxury cars. He's got a few of those. His old classic motorcycles and various sculptures he's made from automotive parts. If you ever visit the town of, um, of Prairie City, you need to look up Ingo's shop. It's behind the grocery market. It's called Prairie City's Motors-Cycles and drop in uh, for a chat with Ingo. He's a great guy. You'll be glad you did. Monday brought more bad news of rain actually across the tri-state area, but wandering downtown again, we found another motorcycle shop. This one on Main Street run by a guy named Rob, ironically, and his wife. They'd only been in town two years and were already friends with Ingo. Their shop is called the Eagles in Flight Motorcycle Shop. They had actually moved down a couple of years ago from Concrete, Washington, which is up near the Canadian border, and they have since been embraced by this warm little community. After hanging out with them for about an hour or so, taking a lot of pictures and video, you'll, which of course you'll find soon when we post it all, we found a window forecasted to open up over us around one o'clock, so everyone raced back up to the place to suit up and to fuel up. We rapidly all lit out for Sumter, the location of the Sumter Valley Dredging Historic Site up these wide, fast sweepers of Route 26, then left onto equally thrilling, equally thrilling Route 7 through Oregon High Country to the town of Sumter on State 73. Now the gold dredge, apparently, it looks like a, almost like a gigantic, you know, warehouse sitting in a uh, in, in its own lake with dredges on either end of it. This gold dredge dug. $4.5 million at $35 per troy ounce back before being shut down in 1954. It was fascinating. But I'll be honest with you, I wanted to get back on the road because that fast ride to get there was more fun than we had anticipated. And with any rain that had floated through earlier, now finally gone, the ride back down those twisting roads uh, with wide sweepers, back into Prairie City was even more brisk and more fun than before. I tell you, I was finally starting to really get comfortable on the big ST-1300. Arriving back in town, most of the group settled back into the guest house, but Ted, Dave, Trevor, and I uh, decided to take a chance. The weather appeared to be holding for us. And we made for State 395s called the John Day Burns Highway. Running south out of Canyon City, 320, 395 is miles of fast sweepers up a gradual incline with posted speed limits of anywhere from 30 to 60, and they're easily exceeded on this well-paved pavement. But of course, you didn't, you didn't hear that from me. The surface was drying. There was very little gravel, and lean angles were getting deeper. 
I was actually thinning the chicken strips on the ST considerably. After reaching the high point of the road, which then arcs back down behind the Strawberry Mountains, we decided to swing back and we rolled, the whole, we rolled down the whole thing back in reverse. Whatever moisture remained on the surfaces had dissipated by our plunge back down the mountain pass. And I found a rhythm in the descent, arcing wide entering turns, diving late into the apexes, and then accelerating hard out, setting up for the next turn down the mountain. It was a thrilling run. I was in a groove, man. We stopped and rummaged through this, uh, what one of the guys called a mantique shop, an antique shop in Canyon City. All kinds of old tools, old automotive parts and stuff like that. And I picked up three really old license plates from the states we were riding through. One from Idaho, uh, one from, um, or a really old one from Oregon, like late 60s, early 70s, based on the little stickers I can see on it. And um, a Ted found me a uh, Centennial Washington one, the one year that they ran that particular one. Those are gonna hang proudly on my wall in my own man cave, actually. Topography and temperature contrasts. Tuesday began with packing, cleaning uh, at the beautiful Prairie Rose. We fueled up, then rolled out in the direction of the towns of Fossil and Antelope, two big goals for the day. Heading west on State 26, we rode through the canyons and high hill country of the Malheur National Forest, breathtaking country. It truly reminded me of the landscapes in so many old westerns I remember watching as a child. We rolled through the tight canyon of the John Day fossil beds, then into this little town called Mitchell, which is just a turnout off of 26. You'll fly right by it if you're not careful. We met a few of the locals. This guy that lives there that owns a 22-year-old 700-pound black bear as a pet. We didn't get to see him. A sweet cafe owner named Terry who poured me a delicious cup of coffee. And Patsy, the town ghost who haunts the old Oregon hotel right there in town. Well, we didn't actually meet Patsy, but Terry told me all about her and advised I be respectful and not leave a mess in the back restroom of the hotel when I requested use of the facilities before we pulled out. She said, it is Patsy's hotel anyway. Well, I wiped down all the proper surfaces before stepping out. I think Patsy was pleased. After Mitchell, the group split up the Mild Hogs heading out first and the Wild Rose Squad later, me in tow. We swung north on Route 207 called the Service Creek Pass, an undulating tarmac that was dry and very grippy. Mm-hmm. The ST took the curves with delight. Of course, I had to stop on several occasions for photos, each turn revealing a vista that could have been pulled straight from John Ford's old classic, The Searchers. You remember the John Wayne movie? We finally rolled into Fossil, another quaint western beauty of a town. We dined on these big, huge burgers at this place called the Corner Cafe just up the street from the museum, which was closed. Chatted up some friendly locals for a few minutes, and then we sidled up for the trek over to the town of Antelope. The road to Antelope is called Route 218, with more left-right, left-right curves for miles across high, open, rolling prairie. Suddenly, across a small creek bridge, we encountered what's called chip seal, a compound used often up here for paved roads off the beaten path. Now, the guys had warned me about chip seal, told me its characteristics, but I was still taken aback when I rolled onto this stuff. Apparently, they use a 
tar oil base which is laid down over the previous surface and while it's still hot and wet small gravel is poured over it and as the compound dries automobiles rolling over it compress the mixture eventually flattening it out what i discovered is even when compressed and hardened <coughs> excuse me it still felt slippery like rolling over loose gravel of which there was still plenty of and combined with tight curves, it made for several pucker moments in corners as I felt the rear tire step out in shifting compounds. Another reason so few people ride in this particular area. Well, we arrived safely in the town of Antelope, uh, if it can still be called a town. So few res residents still live here with no shops open that we could see. Antelope is famous, or maybe that's infamous, for what happened here between 1980 and 1985, particularly when masses of followers of the Indian guru Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh all moved in. What ensued practically destroyed the little town, which has never recovered even decades after the huge commune eventually left. If you want to see the whole story, check it out on Netflix. It's a six-part miniseries called Wild Wild Country for all the bizarre details. It was sobering to stand right where all that took place. We rolled out of Antelopes toward uh, Shanico, then north on State 97 across the High Plains. Across these vast vistas, we witnessed massive thunderstorms, miles away, dumping rain on great in great dark sheets. Above Kent, hold on. We exited west onto 216, virtually deserted, making for the Deschutes River. Descending off the high plains, we ran into one of those storms, which proceeded to pelt us with hail for the next eight to 10 miles, even down the tight twisting road into the canyon. Man, I couldn't see beyond my windshield being battered with ice pellets as well as on my face shield. So my pace slowed to a crawl in the wet, now slippery road with steep drops into the canyon below while being beaten mercilessly by this hail. We all safely reached the bottom, and then the hail and rain, of course, let up. It was terrifying, though, be honest with you, for a few miles there. We jumped north on Highway 197, then rolled through Dufour on our way to the Dalles on the Columbia River. This large city on the border with Washington covers the Columbia River Gorge and is booming with commerce and community. We all arrived at Fun Country Power Sports, which is a dealership these guys have used on numerous occasions in past trips. To get a new front tire for Trevor and to check on some electrical gremlins several of our bikes were experiencing, probably due to all the wet we had been slogging through. And these guys at uh, Fun Country were very helpful. It was here we said our goodbyes to Oregon as we crossed the mighty Columbia back into Southern Washington. We picked up some groceries in the riverside town of Lyle before continuing north, um, winding up Washington 141, by the way, which is another very fun road, into our turnout at Morning Song Acres outside of Klickitat. This gem of a hermitage is owned by an old Lutheran preacher and his wife, and it's the epitome of Pacific Northwest charm. Overlooking the majestic Mount Hood to the south, Morning Song is the perfect ending to a long, eventful, and tiring day. The new morning brought a slate of new adventures. After a leftovers breakfast of potato salad and beef burritos, cold by the way, but we ate it, the group rolled out of Morning Star, 
to the Appleton Highway with sections of this road only recently paved in recent years. Rapid sweepers, fantastic pavement, and we all got into a rhythm, dancing the bikes left and right and left and right up at speed. It was a thrilling morning ride. At one point, we passed a military veteran in a wheelchair, randomly on the left side of the road, way up in one of the curves. There was nobody else around, no driveways nearby. Very strange. Appleton Highway boasts very tight switchbacks, banked corners, very remote locale, and very good tarmac. Trust me, the speeds are conservative. You can do better than that. I had a butt pucker moment about on a 15 mile an hour left uphill switchback. I came into a corner a bit too hot for my comfort, was tempted to grab a handful of brakes, but I didn't. I forced my head and eyes completely over left and up. And suddenly Terry's V-Strom filled my vision, straightening himself and accelerating forward. Instinctively, I lightened up the throttle slightly, still not grabbing any brakes, gasped some expletive under my breath in the helmet, but kept the line, grunting through this hard curve and rolled on the gas again to straighten up. By that time, Terry was well ahead setting up his next corner and I was breathing a sigh of relief. Trevor had been behind me on his VFR interceptor and he witnessed that moment of mine. He exclaimed later, man, it looked like you sucked up some seat vinyl for a second there. That's the truth. A rider coach had once advised me, trust the bike and trust your tires. Sound advice. There were several more corners like that on the stretch, but I hit them all at a better speed, looked and leaned hard left into them, and the big heavy Honda followed, tracking those corners with ease. 12 miles later, the view opened up to our left and I had another one of those gasp moments, this time in response to stunning beauty. There was Mount Adams in all its glory, massive in our sight, seemingly close enough to touch. It took my breath away. At an overlook, we stopped for photos and I stood agape at this gigantic semi-dormant volcano filling our vision. We'll get closer, Ted said. I can't wait, I replied. We rode into the little town of Glenwood, gassed up again, then rode west on the Trout Lake Highway to what's called the Ice Caves, an old Mount Adams lava tube that holds natural ice sculptures year-round. There's a staircase entrance to an open chamber on one side, but for the brave and the flexible, the smaller opening is about 50 yards away, and it can be navigated if you watch your head and your step. We, of course, chose that entrance. The dirt road in and out of the ice caves is muddy, potholed, and lumpy with gravel. Just another one of the several occasions on this trip that I had to motocross a top-heavy sport tour. We rode south to BC, BZ Corner on 141. These are well-maintained, also very grippy roads with their compound. Beautiful vistas looking out across vast landscapes. Several guys in the group say the BZ Road was their favorite to ride. It definitely ranks in the top three on this trip for me as well. We swung east on the BZ Glenwood Highway back down to the town of Glenwood, then headed east to the Glenwood Highway. Tight switchbacks ascend to an overlook of the Klickitat River Gorge and one of the few rivers in the region that's never been dammed. It's still all natural. And all of the natural, all of the beautiful Yakima Indian Reservation as well, I might add. The sun was high, the temperatures were in the low 70s, and the view from this wide overlook were absolutely magnificent. 
One of Ted's favorite photos he snapped here last year of two bikes, his dad and one of the other guys, these riding buddies on parking their bikes up along the edge, the light of a sunset to the left, and a double rainbow stretching over the canyon. Honestly, it's one of my favorite pictures too. We rode back south on Highway 142 into Lyle, then east on Highway 14, which follows the Columbia River back to the Dalles Bridge. We crossed briefly into Oregon again, on Oregon 197, and Dave found this Holstein coffee shop, a great little stop if you need a cup of joe. We then took um, to US 30 out of town to traverse the famed Rowena Curves. If you buy a set of Butler motorcycle maps, this beautiful 1930s era series of climbing hairpin turns are on the cover of the Oregon map. The guardrails are blocks of set stone that have been carved and fitted together. They are exquisite, but definitely don't hit them. They won't give. At the top, the Rowena Overlook is windy, open, and gives a spectacular view back across the Columbia River Gorge to the Dalles Dam. This section of the river is world famous for windsurfing. I never knew that. Looking out across, we saw dozens of them tacking their way back and forth across the windswept whitecaps. We talked with several Harley riders who had ascended the Rowena curves as well, no doubt scraping floorboards, and then we dove back down, enjoying the descent even more than the climb. I tell you, for a huge sport tourer, second only to the legendary Goldwing, the ST1300 is remarkably buttery and flickable on curves like this. We made our way back across the Dalles Dam into Washington and back up to Morning Song for supper, beers, and stories of the day. And what a day it was. Oh, a little postscript to the day. I got to tell you this. A gal named Rocky, very rugged Washingtonian gal who helps take care of the morning song, offered to take a few of us up to a pair of really beautiful overlooks down into the Columbia River Gorge on ATVs. Well, Ted, myself, and Aaron obliged her, and we hopped onto the into the back of her old pickup for a short ride down to her place. Rocky gassed up her two ATVs, a Honda and a Suzuki, and we hopped on. Me hanging on for dear life with Rocky at the wrist, and Ted and Aaron bouncing along behind trying to keep up with us. Bursting out of the woods, the overlooks she brought us to were indeed absolutely spectacular, especially at sunset over the mountains. It was really a magical moment, the views from these beautiful overlooks. Perfect ending to a perfect day, and on an ATV of all things. Well, the end of the road. Thursday would be our last day at Morning Song and the group's last day together. We packed up, cleaned up the place, said our goodbyes, and everyone rolled off toward their respective homes. Ted and I rode north on the Centerville Highway out onto a flat high plains into the map dot called, well, Centerville. We found and stopped at the town's 100-year-old schoolhouse and community center. The school sign had eight names of their graduating eighth graders on one side and an appeal for students wanted on the other. The admins and the teachers had set up a safe social distancing graduation out on the front lawn, and I know the kids and parents appreciated the effort. We rolled on through Goldendale eating breakfast burritos in the parking lot of a McDonald's after literally walking through their drive-through and ordering at their window. They must have thought we were a little bit wacky. They wouldn't have been wrong in that assessment. 
Still feeling the effects of the pandemic in South Central Washington, the seating area, of course, at this McDonald's, like so many restaurants, is still not open yet. We rolled north on State 97 back into the Yakima Indian Reservation. It's their territory, it's their rules, Ted had advised, so we took it easy and we rode rationally. Crossing through the Horse Heaven Hills, I was again struck by the contrast in environments out here, plains to mountains to forested hills and so on. We stopped in Wapato for a snack and drink break and then continued north on Route 821, the Yakima River Canyon Road. And we got to link up with three of Ted's other buddies, Bill Mott Matzenbager, who had graciously loaned me his, his bike for the, for the trip, John Beard and a guy named Milt Herman, who rode a pristine 1998 Honda CBR 1100XX Blackbird. It's not very often you see one of those. We rode the canyon all together as much as we could with all the cager traffic on it, but the sweepers were absolutely exhilarating. Too bad, it, too bad it's the last day. I was really beginning to feel the big ST. In the town of Ellensburg, Ted's hula girl ditched him. This little tradition they have of putting little hula girls on, on their bikes, these little dancing hula girls. And I got one too. And uh, official member of the, of the Wild Rose Squad. His, his girl ditched him. She bounced down the road uh, right across my path. He had named her Mindy. Poor Mindy. I said, sorry, Ted, but Darla stuck with me when we next came to a stop and I told him what happened. Darla made it home to Georgia with me. We rode 97, called the Blewett Pass, through the Wenatchee National Forest with so many contrasts in so few miles. Tall pine forests, then open, barren prairie hills through green valleys, all on grippy, seamless pavement. God help me, I could get used to this. Swinging east through Kashmir, Ted's buds then peeled off and we continued down into the Wenatchee Valley, paralleling the Columbia River back into town. Ted's and Vicky's place is across the river and up in the hills in East Wenatchee and we pulled in and shut down 1,554.5 miles since we left that very same garage. After a soak in Vicky's sister's swimming pool, we unwound and began to recount the trip's highlights. What an amazing adventure it was. To cap off the wondrous road trip we'd all taken together, at sunset, Ted and I hopped back on the bikes and we rode to the top of the ridge overlooking the whole valley and the mountains beyond. We began where we started on the very first day when he and I ascended that hill when I took a check ride on the ST prior to the, the, days, the next day's beginning of the ride. We shot some photos, some footage, and reflected on a truly epic week. We had ridden through drastic temperature changes everywhere from 36 degrees to 91 degrees, from deep valleys to mountain, pack, mountain peaks, through rain, sleet, hail, and even snow. And of course, abundant sunshine. We had traversed perfect grippy asphalt as well as mud and potholed gravel forestry roads and everything in between. Aside from some funky electrical gremlins and a new tire, everyone stayed upright and safe. Well, except for Trevor, who had grazed a deer on his way back home. No damage to bike rider or deer, he told us. He credited the, gri the grip with that new front tire it had given him, and apparent, apparently a front brake adjustment the guys at Fun Country had done for him gratis. He saved, uh, they saved his bacon for sure. It was time to repack and return to the deep south and my own home in the Georgia foothills of the Appalachians. But I must say, 
I left a part of my heart in the Pacific Northwest, somewhere up there in the hill country, on those curvy mountain roads, Ted and his boys call God's own racetrack. And God willing, I'll return and ride them all again someday. Well, this is a bit lengthy, about 40 minutes long, but I hope you enjoyed it. And hope when we get everything posted, you'll go check it out on RoadDirt.tv. We'll actually have a, a full article, the write-up here, uh, tons of photos, photo commentaries, video links to the ride, and um, I hope you'll go check it all out. You can find us also on social media, uh, Road Dirt TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and of course our YouTube channel, which is Road Dirt TV. And we hope you'll also stay tuned next week as we bring you another story from Ride Life. We want to thank our sponsors, Moto America. You can find uh, upcoming races with them, MotoAmerica.com. And the sponsor of this pro- of this particular podcast right here, LawTigers.com. These guys and gals will look after you, and they'll be there for you when when you need them. Hope you don't. Hope hopefully you won't. But if you do. Look them up at lawtigers.com and find one of the offices across the United States that's nearest to you. Well, this is Rob Brooks, and until next time, ride life.